Then you will truly be successful. And we know all things work together for the good. Gotta work together. The good. Gotta work together. And we know all things work together for the good. Gotta work together. The good. To those who love God. Keep God's word on your lips. To those who are called. Meditate on your According to be his purpose, to purpose. It's his purpose, not mine. And we know all things work together for the good. Gotta work together. The good. Gotta work together. And we know all things work together for the good. Gotta work together. It is day 58 of our 90-day challenge, and the topic for today is See the Wind. We're reading from Mark, the 6th chapter, the 45th through the 51st verse, and then we're going to read Matthew's account of this same story, Matthew 14, 22 through 36. Mark 6, 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. And that ends our reading for today. Again, our topic 
is see the wind. They always taught me that Peter took his eyes off Jesus and that is why he began to sink. But I've learned how important it is to turn on the light and read what the Bible says for yourself. That way, God can show you a new revelation. Now listen, perhaps that was the case. Perhaps we can learn something from Peter if he, in fact, took his eye off of the prize. But scripture says, when he saw the wind, he became afraid and started to sink. It never says he took his eye off Jesus. Instead, it says he stared directly into Jesus's direction. And I believe that concentrated gaze caused him to see the wind. Here's an interesting fact. Human beings can't see wind. Wind is an invisible force of nature whose effects can only be felt, not seen. Have you ever thought about it that way? So when we notice trees moving, we can assume the wind is blowing them. When we see waves crashing, we can assume the wind current is fiercely strong. But human beings cannot literally see wind. We can only see the thing it affects. So when Peter stepped out of the boat and looked at Jesus, he was given the power to see what other people cannot see. He was given a sixth sense. And if you're called by God, if you're called according to his purpose, I want to argue today you have a sixth sense to see the wind. Peter was shown something in the spirit that no other disciple on that boat had the honor of seeing because he dared get out of the boat. Of course, when God showed him when, it would make sense why he became afraid and began to sink. And I want you to put this in the chat. Stop asking people for water walking advice when they have splinters in their feet. Stop asking people with splintered feet for water walking advice. <laughs> I want to encourage you to prepare for new insight, new revelation, and new wind. Prepare for God to show you things you don't feel ready for. Prepare for God to show you things that are beyond human comprehension. Many of us have been entrusted with a God idea that others think is unbelievable. But keep your eye on Jesus. The wind of God is blowing in your direction. Pay attention and focus. If you focus on the one who is with you on the water, you will make it through any storm. When you see wind in the spiritual realm, you open yourself to a whole new world. It's a sixth sense. Spiritually, you can see heaviness and depression on a person like a weighty raincoat. It's a sixth sense. You can read someone's heart beyond their words, and even though they say, I'm fine, your discernment sees differently. It's a sixth sense. This is the result of staring into the eyes of Jesus. You see, seeing the wind will cause you to make the right phone call on the right day. Seeing the wind will make you show up at the exact moment that someone is on the verge of breakdown. Peter could not see the wind until he was willing to step out of the boat. The same challenge is required of you. What is your boat of purpose today? What are you afraid to leave that is a comfortable thing? Chapters after this episode, Jesus asks his disciples, whom do you say that I am? And Peter is the only one who speaks up. I believe it was his water walking wind moment that caused Peter to see Christ in a different way. I wonder how many windy nights have done the same for you. I'm sure you thought you were sinking, but all along 
God was using this experience to graduate your vision. He made you more sensitive to his presence and taught you how to pay attention to him on the water and not them on the boat. This is what seeing the wind will do. It will give you boldness to go after the promise. It will give you a God idea for every human problem. God wants to show you something new, but in order to receive it, you got to be willing to see the wind. So let's start with the recap. Day 58 of our 90 day challenge. Purpose is the vehicle. Passion is the fuel. Calling is the echo. Assignment has a deadline. Destiny is the punctuation mark at the end of your life sentence. And there's no way that we can talk about purpose without talking about Peter. The Bible says in our text today in Mark 6 that Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. Another gospel frames it this way. And when Peter saw the wind, he became so afraid. And I think so many people have preached this sermon without paying attention to the fine print that is written in the King James Version. It says, when Peter saw the wind, pause. Men don't see wind, but when God gives you a God idea, you see things through God's perspective. I want you today to see the wind and imagine the things that other people cannot see. You see, one of the things I learned from Peter from this particular pericope is not to ask people with splintered feet for water walking advice. See the wind. See the wind so that you can design something from God's vantage point and not from doubting mindsets. See the wind. And after you see the wind, success is the result. See the wind. Walking is a blessing that we shouldn't take for granted. It is a privilege that we should appreciate, but walking is not abnormal. It's not an anomaly. It's not a special case. It's not an irregularity. The Bible's filled with walking. You can't open the Bible and not see walking. When you open the Bible to the first book of the Bible, the, the, the book of beginnings, a book called Genesis, where we get insight and information about how things began, you see God, the Bible uses an anthropomorphic term, you see God walking through the garden in the cool of the day. You see Moses walking through the Red Sea. You see Joshua walking around the walls of Jericho. You see the disciples walking on Emmaus Road. You see Jesus walking down the Via de la Rosa. Everybody's walking in scripture. That's not abnormal. But in Matthew 14, we see a different kind of walking because everybody else in scripture is walking on the ground. But in Matthew 14, we see two men that's walking on something most people drown in. We see Jesus, that, that's, not, that's not us. You should always see yourself in the text. Jesus, that's, that's, that's not us. Well, that's, that's, that's not me. It might be you. That's not me in the text. Yeah, but I see Jesus, that's not me. You see Jesus walking on water. But then there's another man who's unpredictable at times, temperamental, <laughs> impulsive. Huh? He will lay hands on you and throw them hands. Let me, I felt something on this side right here. They're like, sometimes like, yeah, he would lay hands on the sick and he would throw them hands. 
a man named Peter walking on water. Very powerful. The Bible says in verse, we read beginning at verse 25, but really verse 22, it, it says something very interesting. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the, to the other side. Immediately. Immediately after what? Immediately after one of his most profound and prolific miracles. A miracle where he took two fish and five loaves of bread and he fed thousands of people. Immediately after that miracle, that miracle that they were exposed to, that miracle that was a teaching tool to teach them some truths that I think all of us could live by. The truth that God won't multiply what we won't release. The truth that God will send overwhelming blessings from unexpected places. That whole miracle started because there was a young boy who was willing to give up his lunch. Uh, this, the, the, the truth that somebody's miracle may be contingent on, upon our generosity. Uh, that, that the miracle that God doesn't have to add to us to increase us. That he can give you addition by division. That, that he can show you how to use what you have and how to allocate what you have in, in a way that gets you more and that our limitations only limit us if we let them. Immediately after this, he puts the disciples in the boat and sends them ahead of him. He doesn't go with them, but he will run into them if they go where he sends them. Right? Because God meets you on the path of obedience. And he says, if you go where I send you, you always run into me. <laughs> he, he sends them ahead of himself. But verse 23 says, after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Everybody repeat these two words, please. Say, by himself. By himself. That had to be upsetting, a little irritating, and unnerving for the disciples. I imagine their preference was for Jesus to be with them. But Jesus actually went by himself because maybe he's teaching us that sometimes to help them, you've got to put distance between you and them. He went up to pray because a water walker understands when it's time to be refueled refreshed, we replenished, and refocused. It's interesting because it says later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, but it was being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And verse 25 says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Don't miss it. The miracle with the two fish, fish and five loaves, that ended in the evening. Jesus comes walking to them early in the morning, which means they've been rowing for hours. We don't know how long, but they had a head start, the equivalent of hours. They had a head start, but before dawn, Jesus caught up with them. They were rowing, arms probably burning, or they were sailing. Investing energy and effort and attention, sweating, working to get somewhere Jesus walked to. You see that? They were rowing to get to where Jesus walked to. Because when a person understands the power of refueling and refocusing through prayer, 
they understand prayer enables and empowers me to get there faster. So Jesus is walking. Peter says, excuse me, Jesus is walking. And the disciples think it's a ghost. And the Bible says they're terrified. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's I. It's interesting, right? That it's their mentor, their rabbi, who's walking on the water toward them. And they're afraid. What is this teaching us? It might be teaching us that sometimes it's hard to see Jesus in a storm. That sometimes God shows up looking a way that is different from our expectations. Sometimes he shows up not looking like who, he, who we think he should look like. <laughs> Hard to see him in a storm. Sometimes he shows up looking like increase. We can see that. But then there are other times he shows up looking like decrease. It's still God. We expect him to show up opening doors, but sometimes he shows up closing them. It's still God. We expect him to show up increasing opportunities, increasing exposure, and then there are sometimes he shows up decreasing it. It's still God. He's walking. Remember, Jesus had 12 students, 12 disciples, 12 apprentices. And Peter, one out of 12, says, if it's you, tell me to come. Do you see it? Do you see it? You see the principle of exemption. Do you see it? Twelve men are in the boat. Only one out of the twelve acts to walk on water. Peter was the irregularity. He was the anomaly. He was the deviation. Who did not allow what happened to them to dictate and determine what could happen for him he stepped out of the boat onto the water because he refused to be limited by the limitations of the other 11 here's my question who's your 11 who who are you looking at to determine what is possible for you and how are you allowing the limitations of that group to limit what you think is possible for you? Are, is your 11 women? Is your 11, are, are, is it women? Are, are you being subject to limitations because of your gender? Are you allowing other people to tell you as a woman what women cannot do because most women don't do it? Are you not even trying to step out of the boat because the 11 others that are in the boat with you are telling you what's possible even though they don't have any experience in that particular area to even know if it's possible? Y'all follow me here? Who, who, who's your 11? Is it your age? Who, who said you're too old? 
Are you looking at what's possible for you by looking at a people group? Who's your 11? Is it people who've made some of the same kind of mistakes as you? And because those of us who make these kind of mistakes don't typically recover from these kind of mistakes, so I'm not even going to try to recover from these kind of mistakes because based on the 11, recovery isn't possible. Who's your 11? But Peter had the unmitigated gall and the audacity to decide what happens with them does not dictate and determine what happens with me. And he was willing to step out of the boat. Who's your 11? Who's looking at, who are you looking at and coming to conclusions about what is possible for you based on the activity of others? See, those who embrace the principle of exception don't deny the norms. They don't deny the obstacles. They don't deny that it may be harder for me as a woman, that it may be harder for me based on my age, that it may be harder for me based on my mistakes, that it may be more unlikely for me uh, based on my race. But unlikely does not mean impossible. Are y'all hearing this? That when I don't step out of the boat because of premature conclusions I've drawn about my life based on what happened to others. It's interesting. <laughs> Peter steps out of the boat, begins to walk on water. I'm not going to bother this this week. This is for next week. But to do that, he had to be, be, he had to be willing to leave people he loved. Mm. Right? That I love you all and I'm not better because the principle of exception shouldn't lead to arrogance, it should lead to humility. I'm not better, but I'm different. See, principle of exception is not making a judgment on the 11th. It's properly discerning that you're the 12. Okay. I want you to think about it. Somebody say, I'm number 12. Are y'all here, family? You, let me wrap up. Y'all must. I, I said, somebody say, I'm number 12. See, see, see. I'm not, making an, I'm not making a judgment on others. I'm not making a judgment on what you should and shouldn't do. I'm not making a judgment on whether or not what you're doing is good or bad. What I have done is I've come to a revelation that's given me a recognition of who I am. I'm not saying the boat is bad for you. I'm saying I'm not built for the boat. Did you hear what I said? Yeah. I'm saying I'm not built for the boat. I'm not wired from the boat. I suffocate in a place called stuck, stagnation, and safe. I'm not wired that way. I am courageous. I'm brave. I'm entrepreneurial. I need to explore. I need to experiment. I'm not this or that. I'm this and that. I'm not built that way. If that suits you, that's fine, but it does not suit me. I'm number 12. I'm a water walker. I'm a water walker. I'm a water walker. 
I'm a water walker. I'm a water walker. I'm a water walker. I'm a water walker. I can't sit down here. I'm itching. I'm agitated. I'm irritable. I am a water walker. I was not born for the boat. I'm not built from the boat. And if you keep me on this boat too long, I'm going to rock this boat. I am a water walker. I'm number 12. I'm number 12. I'm a number 12 pastor. I'm a number 12 pastor. I do not gauge what is possible for this house based on what has happened with the 11. This is a number 12 church. Come here, bone crusher. We ain't never scared. We we ain't never scared we'll put a church in whatever city god tell us to put one we not scared and i don't believe you are either if you're part of this family why would god plant a boat sitter in a water walking church Hallelujah. This means this church should be anointedly irritating you. It should make you comfortably uncomfortable. Because whenever you get ready to settle, you ought to come in here and something, wake up something on the inside of you and say, don't you dare stay in that boat. Don't you dare settle for less than God's best. You ought to feel a prophetic push when you come into this house. How many want to be a water walker? Three things I see in the text that I think we need to become one. Here it is. Number one, number one, we need exposure. Peter was a fisherman by trade. Is that true? So he'd been on water most of his life. Is that true? Yet, yet, this is interesting. Even though he'd been on water, yet, we, we see no evidence of him ever attempting to walk on water prior to him being exposed to his mentor doing it. And once he got exposed to Jesus doing it, that exposure awakened in him an appetite for something he didn't even want until he saw it. So I think this begs us to ask the question, why is it that you see what you see? Could it be that exposure is evidence of favor? That favor puts you, puts you in the proximity of the extraordinary. Because once you get exposed, you can't be unexposed. So could it be that God is exposing you and I to certain things, not to irritate us, but to inspire us? He's not trying to show you what you can't have. He wants to use that exposure as an instrument of inspiration, not for us to want what God is doing for them, but he wants to use that exposure as an instrument of inspiration for me to want what God has for me. It's saying, no, I don't want to walk on your water, but I want to walk on mine. I'm not coveting what you have, but I'm passionate about what God has for me. We need exposure. 
Now, you think you've seen all you've seen and know all you know just to see it? Exposure. Number two, invitation. Even though Peter had an appetite for the sea, he didn't leave until Jesus invited him. <laughs> so it was not his ambition, it was not his passion. His walking on the water was in response to an invitation from Jesus. So could we even say that, G that Peter was not walking on water just to walk on water? Could we say, as the text teaches, he was walking on water to get to Jesus? <laughs> could it be he wasn't being brave, he was being obedient? He wasn't trying stuff just to try stuff. He wasn't a thrill seeker and was using the voice of God to validate his desire to, to have thrills and, and, to, and to address his boredom with life. He wasn't trying to be brave. He was trying to be obedient. And his obedience required that he be brave. And he stepped out of the boat and into the water because something on the water was calling him and I believe you're in this place today or watching this message whenever you're watching it because there's something on the water that's calling you <laughs> there are other people who are with you but they don't hear what you hear and they don't see what you see but you hear it loud and clear and you see it clearly crystal clear something is calling you to come out of the water to get out of the boat to meet me in a place that other people think is unsafe. And even when the wind starts blowing you, you keep walking. The text says the wind didn't die down until they got back in the boat. Why didn't Jesus wait until the storm passed to send them out? Maybe he's trying to teach us that if you're going to walk on water, you have to learn how to walk in the wind. And when the wind blows, you walk anyway. And when they don't help you, walk anyway. And when they turn you down, walk anyway. And when you don't get the support you want and think you need, walk anyway. And when you have setbacks, walk anyway. Not only do you have to walk on the water, we have to walk in the wind. An invitation, we're going to talk about this later because this means what is critical and key for a water walker is discernment. Because courageousness is not carelessness. You got to get this, if not, presumption will cause us to drown. That's what happened with Pharaoh. He saw Moses and Israel walk through the Red Sea on dry ground, and then he tried to do the same thing. He said, they can do it. I can do it. That's, that, sounds, that sounds inspiring. That's bad theology to live by because Pharaoh and his army tried to do what Moses and the Israelites did, and Pharaoh and his army drowned in the sea because you drown when you try to follow a word God didn't give you. He said, no, I told them to do that. I didn't tell you to do that. But I have chariots and the Israelites don't. They have to walk through. I can ride through. If they can do it, so can I. Can do it and supposed to do it aren't the same. You can have more chariots, more degrees, more competence, more, <laughs> more relationships, more money. But if you don't have the word, you are drowning what other people walk through who had less than you because the one determining factor 
is the invitation. It didn't work because they were so smart. It didn't work because they were so connected. It didn't work because they were so great. It worked because God said, come. Number three, I'm done. Here it is. Exposure, invitation. Number three, initiative. Even when Jesus told Peter to come, Peter was still the one that had to step out of the boat. Because Jesus will give you the word, but he won't move your legs. And some people have the invitation, but have never walked on water because they won't take the initiative because for them, listen to me, come is not enough. All Jesus said was come. And here's the question, is come enough? He gave them no more detail. But Lord, what's, I'm, I'm walking up, what's, what's gonna happen? Come. But what about gravity, Jesus? It's this thing called gravity, Jesus. It's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what, what, what about to the third power divided by 12? <laughs> Some of you, you are like me before you step out of the boat. I want to know how many steps am I going to have to take? Are you going to suspend the law of gravity? Jesus, are you going to meet me halfway? Am I going to have to come all the way to you? And all Jesus said was come. It's come enough. He took the initiative that you can't sustain me until I step. You can't show me what's next until I step. And yes, we need to be careful and prudent, but we also must make sure we are not stuck because of analysis paralysis. We have analyzed to the degree that we have talked ourselves out of the come. 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 And, and could it be that Peter came because the fear of the boat was greater than the fear of the sea? Because there are some things most of what I've done in ministry, I did it because I was more afraid not to do it. I was aware of the risk of stepping out, but I was much more afraid of what would happen if I stayed in the boat. And having to live under the dubiousness and the ambiguity of what could have been, what would have been, if I just tried. That's torture. I can't live that way. I'd rather sink with Jesus than stay stuck with Thomas. No, 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 no. Thomas is the name of one of Jesus' disciples, a doubter. Who's on the boat? Thomas is on the boat. James and John on the boat I'd rather take my risk of sinking with Jesus because even if we're going to talk about this even if my method gets off and I look at the wind when I should look at Jesus and I start to sink because my motive is right 
even when I'm sinking, he comes and rescues me. <laughs> when Peter started sinking, he didn't call for the disciples, did he? He called for Jesus. Because he knew the one who, the only reason I came is because somebody called me. And the one who called me is going to be responsible for me. So even if I sink, I'd rather live my life having walked for three steps than to have lived my whole life staying in a boat, wondering what life is like outside of the boat. And this is a word for you in this room and a word for you watching me. Is a word for you. A timely word. You are not built for the boat. And you are not better than the 11. But you are not one of them. You are number 12. Here I am. And none of this looks familiar. But there you are, God. So I know that things will get clearer because you're in control. And you know exactly what lies ahead. I'll walk on water and I won't look down. You have my trust, Lord I know you won't let me drown You've never failed And you never will So I'll just keep walking I will not fear my faith's been tested It's hard to trust what's not seen Blindly walking But I know your hand is guiding me Because you're in control And you know exactly
walk on water I won't look down You have my trust, Lord Just keep walking, trusting you, I'll just keep